The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by Alt Playground. APG is more than just a place to find couples to swap with. Alt Playground is a lifestyle community for all non-monogamous and sexually adventurous people to connect and share. And you know I started a profile. Join me over at altplayground.net. That's A-L-T playground.net. Hotmovies.com has long been an ethical and affordable place to hashtag pay for some of your porn. Now with Hot Movies Select, customers gain access to unlimited viewings of tens of thousands of additional films from all their favorite studios for the low, low price of $24.95. Visit Hotmovies.com, click Select Unlimited, and use promo code MANHOR at checkout so they know who sent you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to the nice guys and the bad boys, to all the toxic men and the sanitary semen holders. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Hey, 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 welcome to the show if you're new. Welcome back if you're not. I am your host, uh, the comedian you forget is a comedian because you're like, it's not a comedy podcast and he's kind of funny, but I wouldn't say he's like funny. Uh, Billy Presida, everyone. Hi. That really hurt my own feelings to say out loud. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This week on the show, I've got on author Peggy Orenstein. She's the author of the book Boys and Sex, as well as Girls and Sex and many others. I am so excited that we got her on the show uh, finally after all this time. So, you know, very hyped to share her with y'all in just a little bit, in just a little bit. But first, here in New York State, everyone over 30 is eligible to get a vaccine. Hell yeah. We are getting vaxxed up in this city and nationwide. I mean, me, I'm just, you know, y'all know that I'm a vaccinated bitch already. I'm CDC approved to spit in your mouth. I've, I'm well past two weeks, past my second dose. A second dose, which, by the way, knocked me on my fucking ass for like 36 hours uh, after I got it. But also, well worth it. Uh, I've, I've been indulge i am abusing my vac my early vaccinated status you know i can finally make out with people again it's been so fun i'm gonna actually retire the glory hole you know we're having revelations over here so as we are looking at uh, what is sure to be barring some sort of viral catastrophe a vaccinated very horny summer and I know y'all might be starting to contemplate what kind of plans or travel arrangements you're going to be making. Well, I want to let you know of one you're surely going to want to join in on. Man Horcon 2021. Hallelujah. It's here and it's officially going to happen. Uh, we'll be gathering together without masks <laughs> um, in either August or September. I'm currently narrowing in on a particular long weekend. And we're going to do Manhorcon a little differently this year because normally 
Uh, Manhor Khan is in New York City. All sorts of people show up, dozens of fan whores, and we and we have an itinerary with all these activities we're going to do. We do a live podcast. We do a bar crawl. We do all this stuff in the hustle and bustle of New York City. But after the year and change that we've had, gosh, I feel like we might need something a little more intimate, a little less crazy city vibes, a little less of an itinerary schedule. And that's why this year, ManorCon is actually going to be taking place in upstate New York, at a big-ass cabin from Airbnb where we can slow it down and engage with human beings again. So I am actually going to be holding an info session live stream later this month uh, where I can share what I have in mind for ManhorCon this year, where I can show you some of the places that I am considering as as our headquarters, so to speak, uh, as well as allow you all to ask any and all of the questions you may have, whether you've been to ManhorCon before or you've just always considered going and now you're ready to pull the trigger on it, right? You know, it's a great opportunity to show up and say, hey, Billy, is this an orgy weekend? And then I can tell you, no, it is not an orgy weekend. However, if orgies happen to happen at the weekend among consenting adults, I am personally not going to stop them. Just an example of like one question we might get. So uh, ManhorCon this year uh, will have limited availability because it will be at an Airbnb, depending which one. It's probably going to have to be able to have 12 to 20 people. Unless, you know, some folks want to get their own Airbnb uh, closer to uh, where the headquarters will be. But um, availability is going to be open first to past ManhorCon attendees and Patreon members, uh, people who have been in our community for at least a couple of months. And uh, and if we still have availability by the time summer hits, I will open it up uh, to to all sorts of fan whores. So if you would like uh, to attend that info session, shoot me an email at manhorpod at gmail.com or just join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash manhorpodcast. Uh, I say that because it's probably going to be live streamed through Patreon, but if you email me because you're curious, uh, you're I can get you in on that without you having to, uh, to join just yet. Um, but God, am I excited to see you all. Oh, boy, I'll have to bring the Motor Bunny again like we have before. Speaking of which, uh, you know, unofficial plug, but uh, I'm so I have an affiliate sponsorship with Motor Bunny because I've been working with that brand for uh, many years at this point. And so when I have an affiliate deal, I can actually see like I get notified every time someone buys a Motor Bunny or accessories for the Motor Bunny with my code or with my link. And y'all have been like... I, I see where y'all are putting your stimulus money, okay? You took that $1,400 and you were like, I'm going to use about like 1000 or 1100 of it on the best vibrator in the world. So shout out to all of y'all. I would love to see any pictures or videos of you uh, using your Motor Bunny in action. But there's never been a better time to get your hands on a Motor Bunny. They even have a new product called the Motor Bunny Buck, which is like a thrusting machine. It's actually the only saddle style fuck machine that exists on the market so if you're curious about motor bunny if you're thinking about investing in your pleasure head on over to manhorpod.com slash motor bunny and you'll get access to an exclusive fan whore deal as well as you know they throw a few bucks my way which is kind of nice so again manhorpod.com slash motor bunny before I get to this week's guest, Peggy Orenstein uh you know last week I actually told a a sex story of uh, a stranger play encounter I had, I guess it was like two weekends ago now. 
I ended up for various reasons cutting it out partially for time. Uh, so I cut out this like roughly 10 minute story and I just released it exclusively on my Patreon for all of my $5 and up fan whores. Uh, so if you want to get access to that story, I I'm going to warn you, it's not really a sex story. I like tell the sex story and then I talk about my reactions to said sex story because I, Billy had some revelations, um, about what the future of his slutitude might be. And if you would like to hear all of that, <laughs> as well as gain access to over 200 bonus episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. When you become a member, you also get a fan whore appreciation moment like this guy right here, Joe Manny B. Thank you so much for being a fan whore. I don't really think it's fair that you're probably way older than me, but look so much better than I do. It's offensive, but I appreciate you uh, supporting this slutty podcaster over here. And now for this week's guest, Peggy Orenstein. Oh, M's and G's. Big fan of this one on Twitter. Um, very excited to read her uh, new book, Boys and Sex, Young Men on Hookups, Love, Porn, Consent, and Navigating the New Masculinity. This is actually her first book on boys. Previously, Peggy has written a whole lot of fabulous books about women and girls. Uh, she's written books called Don't Call Me Princess, Girls and Sex, Cinderella Ate My Daughter, and School Girls, uh, as well as many others. So, you know, you're not just going to want to get boys and sex after this conversation. You're going to want to get the whole damn catalog. Um, she was just a goddamn delight. And I, I just kind of like sat there in awe. I mean, I know, like, I talk a bit in this episode, but, like, while I'm talking, I'm thinking, don't fuck up, Billy. This is Peggy Ornstein. Like, she's... <laughs> Two small things I just want to acknowledge real quick. One, because of the microphone that she was using in the space she was in, uh, you, I did the best I could in post, but you still might hear some light humming at some points during the conversation. Hope that doesn't put you off to the content of it. Uh, and also, uh, this was at some point we talk about uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, and this was recorded like about a month ago. And it was recorded like after the press conference, but before things really escalated and the number of women accusing him of, uh, of, of various behaviors um, really started to pick up. I think at the time we were still just at like the three and we were all like, let's have a, an investigation and then we're going to take action upon said investigation. Shit has changed. So if I sound nonchalant, it's because it's before things got even worse on that end. And if you're not uh, familiar with what's going on with uh, the New York governor and his uh, sexual misconduct or sexual assault uh, allegations, then there's a Google machine for you. Highly encourage you to check that out. But uh, Peggy was phenomenal. Let's go uh, talk about boys and sex and so much more with Peggy Ornstein. New Yorkers over 30 are eligible to get the vaccine, which means there's going to be sex. And when there's going to be sex, there's going to be sex parties. And that's why I'm excited to be sponsored by altplayground.net, the place to go for your next non-monogamous adventure. Ooh, yeah, hip, cool, sexy. <laughs> APG has been around for a long-ass time. Uh, if you're in the lifestyle, you probably know about APG. But now that they've acquired other popular lifestyle sites, it's becoming a central hub for all things group sex. Whether you're looking for a third or a couple to play with or the first vaccinated hotel takeover, you'll want to stay in the know at APG. Sign up today to connect with like-minded lifestylers who don't prescribe to monogamous defaults we were all given. 
blast out of quarantine in sexy style at altplayground.net. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by HotMovies.com, the ethical and affordable place to hashtag pay for your porn. And you know, Hot Movies, it's not just a site for straight people to see dicks go into vaginas and sometimes for vaginas to scissor each other. No, no, no. Hot Movies has an incredibly diverse library of films from all your favorite porn studios, starring all your favorite porn performers, doing all your favorite porn categories. Look, they've got feminist porn from Erica Lust and Crash Pad series and people with vulvas with armpit hair. They've got gay porn for the boys. They've got bi guys women love to watch. And they've got non-binary people who will make you they all over your them. You won't get this much variety on any quality porn site. So you can get access to it all with Hot Movies Select Unlimited Subscription Service. Yep, just go to hotmovies.com. Click Select Unlimited and use promo code MANHOR so they know who sent you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Now let's get to the show. I feel like we need Peggy on the planet longer. Uh, we need you long enough to do the uh, non-binary and sex book. I feel like that would be the I next, know, right? I know, I know, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's. I'm. I. I just want to get it done. Yeah. I mean, has, has that been something people have like actually asked if you would do some sort of? Uh... People bring it up. Um, I don't know that. Um, my publisher would feel that, I mean, I wish that, that, that conversation had been further along when I was writing the girl book in particular, I address it more in the boy book, but, um, you know, the, the book came out in 2016 and I think, um, Caitlyn Jenner was on the cover of Vanity Fair in like mid 2015 sometime. So the book was already like in press by then. Um, so it was interesting because there were, you know, I would see glimmers of that kind of on the edges of my site my you know my reporter site but I, it didn't kind of click in with me and and i wish it had because i think it would have been such an interesting thing to include um but i wouldn't have been in the place where i am now in terms of all you know we've all evolved in our understanding of all of these issues so um if i were doing it now i would do it differently and it's weird to say that when it's just been so few years, you know? Well, that's the crazy thing about all this discourse is, like, it's all being, like, you know, you get hundreds of years where there's, like, very, very minimal. And then all of a sudden, the last mm -hmm. 20, last 10, last five, you know, all these yeah. all these new things we're trying to learn. And and there are so many people who are earnestly trying to learn. Um, and, and the way Twitter works, I, I feel like a lot of people feel like they're not learning fast enough. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But also it's cool when you can go to a publisher and pitch a trilogy right off the bat. Be like, I got the girls in sex, the boys in sex, non-binary yeah. in sex. Cool. I mean, I I do think there I, I do think there maybe what is it that what could I add or what could I say or what would be interesting in in thinking about this, but I haven't really come up with a with a book thought about that. But I do think about but it. But then again, it's like, is there enough yet to say for a whole book? Does more time exactly. just need to pass before you would yeah. even be able to do it, you know? Right. But it might be like in the context of some bigger thing about thinking about gender or thinking about, you know, 
where we've been or where we're going that isn't specifically, you know, taking that group as a distinct unit, but looking at it in a, in a larger context, maybe, you know, could be interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I love I that know. you, you, I read that you wrote boys and sex as like a response, like a post me Too response, yeah. like sequel to girls and sex, because it was like, Oh, I only did half. So to Oops. speak, you know, I only did, like, <laughs> I, I, I took out like a large swath of the people involved yeah. in all of this. Um, half ish. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was that moment of realization? Like, well, you know, I mean, I knew I was doing that, obviously, but I have always written about girls. I've written about girls for, you know, something like 25 years. And when I was going around the country after writing Girls and Sex, every place, you know, that I went, parents and girls and boys, you know, people would say, when are you going to, what about the boys? What about the boys? And I kind of had a little bit of the response that I just had in our discussion of talking about non-binary people that I thought, well, I'm not sure what there is to say. <laughs> you know, I don't know you know, if, if enough has changed for boys in some way, young men in some way. Um, but also, honestly, there was just like a bias that I thought that guys wouldn't talk. Mm. And I was afraid that, um, you know, I'd have whole transcripts that were basically, nope. <laughs> oh, come on. There's, uh -huh. there's some of us with some more depth than that. As it turns <laughs> out, faith. as it turns out. But, you know, I'm talking about teenage boys, mm -hmm. right? And I just wasn't, I, it wasn't my experience that they were a very chatty bunch compared to girls. But in fact, when I, when I did go in in that kind of open hearted, curious way, um, in a lot of ways, they were more forthcoming than the girls. And, and I think that they were really grateful to have a rare opportunity to kind of um, reflect and, to explore their interior lives. And, you know, there's a contract sort of when you're talking to a reporter, obviously, that you're there to have, you've already agreed that you're willing to do that. They couldn't all do it. But, um, but that was true of the girls, too. Um, are, are you having like parents are like sitting in on these since they're like teenage? Oh, no. Okay. Just a second. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Um, oh, no, that wouldn't work. No, no. Uh, if they're under 18, um, usually through the school, I got some sort of parental permission. Okay. But if they're 18... Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. They can do whatever they want to, obviously. Um, but be, but, but you know, the, they were so um, interesting and and thoughtful and reflective. And it just kind of wasn't, you know, it's not how we think about boys, and it wasn't what I thought I was necessarily going to get. So I actually did start before the Me Too allegations. I started; it was a little bit before, uh, and within really months, a couple months those started to come in. So so that definitely turned people's attention to what was going on with boys. But I felt like it was a very, that, that overall, I mean, that that was a sort of negative inroad. And while it was super important and understanding consent and harassment and assault and everything was obviously a big part of it, I also thought that it opened up this opportunity to talk to boys about, um, in, in a kind of more I don't know, I guess, positive way about sexuality and masculinity and ask some questions that um, they don't usually get to think about. And it just sort of opened, it just created an opportunity, I think, for me. I, I it's, it's, it's astonishing, I think, because I, 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 um, I think, it, I think it's interesting that you were, even you expected like, oh, what will I even get out of the boys talking to yeah. them? But like, you know, I think when boys or men are put in a container where it's okay and safe to just be emotionally vulnerable, way more will do it than you think. I was fortunate if I went to this like boarding, like alternative boarding school, a lot of like seminaring, talking about your feelings. So that was like 
ingrained in the culture there for four years. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I graduated, like all through college, I would get random male alums who I was never friends with. I didn't get along with the boys. Uh, they, you know, they, they were the mean ones. But I would randomly get them and they would right. just start and now whether or not they were intoxicated when they did so, just need to talk to someone about dad or need to say like, oh man, yeah. struggling with this. Because there was a, an unspoken code at Hyde, my, my high school, where you could kind of do that. But like, it was astonishing that these men, these boys, some of them who bullied me, thought like I was someone they could talk to. And they knew because like, I was always very open about my emotions and feelings. I think when they think like, I'm not going to get called a pussy. I'm not going to get called this. Yeah. I'm not going to be thought of as weak. I think they're way more willing to be forthcoming. But just they, yeah. Yeah, when they don't have to live up to masculinity. Right. And I think, you know, th- there's a couple of things that that makes me think of. One is that I was really worried about doing this as a woman. That was the other piece of it. I thought, you know, maybe a guy should be doing this book. But the truth is, is that when guys do confide, most often it is to a woman. And that has its own issues about like who does the emotional labor and all this kind of thing. But I felt like in the end for anything that they might not have told me because I was like, looked like their mom, um, there was like stuff that they did mm-hmm. and, and it was worth it. So there was that deep, but also, you know, everything that you just said about vulnerability and emotional suppression and all of that, that was so core to, you know, to sort of the lens through which I was refracting everything in the book because, um, I felt like when I wrote the girl book that the sort of baseline thing was girls are systematically disconnected from their bodies Mm -hmm. by the culture. And with boys, the really baseline thing was that they're systematically disconnected from heart and emotions and, and from their vulnerability. And when you, um, because vulnerability is like a fundamental human trait and, you know, Brene Brown says that it's what the secret sauce that holds relationships together. When you cut off and deny vulnerability in young men, you're cutting off and denying their capacity for having the kinds of personally fulfilling relationships and emotionally connected relationships, whether it's friendships or romantic relationships, that they may want to be having in their lives. And that is harmful to them and, and others, you know, to their romantic partners as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I and, and I'm a, you should know, I'm just a dumb comedian with a fuck show. So like, take this with a grain of salt and feel free to, <laughs> you know, it's like, when I, if I say something and I think I sound self-important, it's like, I know I'm dumb. It's fine. Um, but I wonder if there's any similarity to like, When you have like a criminalized industry, whether it's like sex work or maybe drugs or something like that, where, you know, when it's driven underground, it becomes more dangerous, it festers and then explodes at some point or it can get real bad. Mm. And I wonder if there's something there about like men and boys with emotion where like if you have to dive that underground, if you can only open up to that, that girl you're dating who's who's not too aggressive, maybe like if that's all if you don't have a lot of outlets to get it, when's it going to explode? Well, I think I think that there's. There's some truth to that, you know, that what boys often say is that what they're allowed is happiness and anger. Mm. So that there's a lot of emotions that have to go into the anger box, you know, sadness, betrayal, frustration, anything goes into what are you going to do with that anger. And what we know about um, those, you know, that boys who kind of hold those masculine norms is that, I mean, obviously you get rewarded for it. You know, you talk about the mean boys. I mean, they got rewarded, um, but you also, you know, it puts you at higher risk of suicide. It puts you at higher risk of depression. They have fewer friends. Um, they're more likely to uh, abuse substances. Um, they're more likely to both be bullied and to bully, you know, all these things. So it has some really real world um, uh, implications that when when guys kind of shut down their emotions in that way, they do um, 
lash out and act out. Yeah, yeah. It's it, nobody can hold that stuff in forever. It's it's really terrifying. And and I also was like skeptical about like men who how many men will really open up. And then I actually got a few years ago into group therapy because um, mm. I'm a professional comedian, so I can't afford full therapy mm-hmm. on my own. Uh-huh. But uh, it's group therapy, and it was group with men specifically men uh-huh. all similar age range like i think i'm i'm 31 now and i'm the oldest mm-hmm. so but you know it was men in their like mid late 20s and talking and and i joined it in part because i was like i need to talk to more men and i need to experience mm-hmm. emotional space with more men and actually and i'd love to hear what you think about this is it's a very common theme over the last few years that we will talk about is like the obsession with being a good guy being the nice mm. guy um and if you're not the nice guy then you're the bad guy and then you're like, yeah. you're getting called out on Twitter or you're in trouble at work or you're this. Um, and, and that neither is true. One of the biggest comforts for me as a man today is accepting that like I am both a good guy and a bad guy. I am going mm-hmm. to do things that will cause harm at some point. And it is about how I handle those situations, not that a situation happened. You like embody everything that I say. Is can you, what can I you, would like to happen. Can you, can you tell Twitter this? Because uh, they, sometimes yeah, they get no, mad. But I, I mean, yeah, tw- social media. Forget it. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that's exactly right. The fact that there's this good guy, bad guy dichotomy and that you are either one or the other and there's no complexity. And, you know, it, we don't talk to boys about – I mean, obviously, you don't want to say – and it's fine if you, you know, assault somebody. But if if you make a mistake – that doesn't make you a you know a, a a wholly bad person, and it's not the making of a mistake. It's how you take accountability for that, and and how you move forward from that. Um, that is the test of your character and your humanity. Um, and I talked a lot in the book in terms of the assault stuff. That if we only have good guys and bad guys, it makes it almost impossible for um, a guy to take accountability because if you if you see yourself as a good guy then you can't and only bad guys do these things then you can't possibly have done what you're what people are saying and you're then doing every because call then you'd out be a is bad guy be met with defensive energy because i have mm-hmm. to defend this exactly. good guy status i have yeah and the boys talk about that a lot in the book and there's a whole chapter uh, in the book called i know i'm a good guy but because i can't tell you how many young men i talk to use that phrase to me mm-hmm. where they said you know we would be talking about something and they'd be like i remember you know one of the boys and I, I talk about this, but one of the boys just sort of paused at a certain point in the interview. He was a senior in high school. And he sort of seemed to be like sort of looking up in the sky and for a second, then he just sort of went, oh, fuck it, I'm going to tell you this. And he told me about a time when he, you know, when he crossed, he thinks he crossed lines and isn't really sure because it wasn't, the girl wasn't, it's not really sure, clear. Maybe he did and maybe he didn't, I can't say. But he thinks he may have, and he didn't ever acknowledge it. And he, you know, used that phrase, I know I'm a good guy, but, and I just, I would hear that, you know, I know I'm a good guy, but, and I think like, how, what do we do about that? What do we do about the, I know I'm a good guy, but, but, but because he wanted to be able to take accountability, to apologize, to find out if what he believed might be true, what, maybe she didn't perceive it that way, you know, all these things, but he didn't know how to do that. And didn't feel he could do that. Um, and then the final chapter actually is is about a guy who does who is through the the school that he's in. They have a restorative justice program, um, and he is. It's a whole story of these two people where um, she and he really, you know, he liked this girl a lot. Every, you know, and they end up 
she ends up, he ends up kind of coercing her into going home with him, coercing her and pushing her into um, performing oral sex on him. Um, over time, it takes like four years. Like, you know, she realizes that, that qual- that that's assault. He realizes it's assault. He felt, fa- you know, she falls apart. He falls apart, blah, 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 blah. Finally, she goes and decides to do this restorative justice thing. And it's so, uh, it, it, and you have to, the guy has to be able to acknowledge, uh, or the, the perpetrator, whoever it is, um, acknowledge that they've, um, caused harm. Um, but he did, and they could work through this process where she felt like she had control and like she got, you know, what she needed out of it. But he also, he transforms from being really a pretty typical oblivious, you know, guy raised on, as he says, like national lampoon movies and porn um, to a really conscious evolved uh, person who can really see his partners and um, is just like one of the best men I know. And I think it was really his ability to go through that and take accountability and recognize that that was not the first time or the, you know, by the long shot that he had done that to somebody. Um, it was pretty incredible in writing the book, in writing boys and sex. Cause so you, you have one daughter, correct? That's yeah. So did, yeah. Who's a senior in high school. When, yeah. when you were done writing, when you were done with the book, did part of you feel relieved that you hadn't had a son like that? You don't have a son. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> uh, I think it's complicated. I think it's complicated to raise kids right now. Um, and I think it's all about, I mean, I have friends who have sons who are raising just wonderful guys, you know, and um, and when that's true, I mean, just as a little example, this is a little boy. Um, he, I don't know how old he is, maybe nine or something. But one of my friends has a little boy and I was having a hard time recently. And she told him I was having a hard time. And he went in the other room and he got the stuffed animal that in their family they bring out when somebody's having a hard time. And he said, Mom, take a picture and send it to Peggy. So that I would have the stuffed animal that to, when he, you know, and I was just like, how sweet is that? And I know she's a, she is a, uh, works in sexually transmitted diseases. Um, and, uh, she talks to her boys all the time. You know, they're like, they're like nine and 12 all the time about these issues, about masculinity, about sex, about mutuality, about consent. And they're going to be so prepared because somebody talked to them. And it's really, you know, I mean, I think that more than anything with both books, um, Somebody asked me the other day what I thought the biggest problem was around in, you know, in all these areas of sex. Like, was it porn? Was it this? Was it that? And I said, no, it's none of that stuff. It is silence. Silence is the problem. The fact that we do not talk to our young people in real ways, that is the problem. And and it's a generational problem because like at least like your friends and a lot of people raising kids who are more conscious now, you know, they're you you say your your friends raising good sons and those sons, in, if they have children, can raise better children too. Yeah. But the the difficulty today is like we've got people who are both trying to learn and teach simultaneously. And like my yeah. sister just had a kid, just had a little niece, like three three weeks Aww. ago. And and I don't congratulations. know congratulations. Yeah, yeah. I can't <laughs> wait to play uncle and like have all the fun and no responsibility. Yeah. I want to be that. That's my goal in life. Um, you know, like I've talked to her about some things and. You know, trying to challenge her on certain positions, but she's also learning. So it's like, right? I, well, okay. You know where she starts? Mm-hmm. She starts by naming that baby's body parts, mm-hmm. all of them. You know, you say vulva, you say, you know, at some point clitoris, you say these things. I mean, it, so often, particularly with girls, parents go from navel to knees, and they just like, or they call it the pee pee, or they, you know, like navel call it what knees. you wouldn't call your elbow. Like 
Yeah. You wouldn't call your elbow like your your woo-woo, you know? Mm-hmm. Call it what it is. But so there was that and, you know, like, it's so, I mean, it's not that hard starting from birth. If you start at birth, you have so much opportunity to scaffold up mm-hmm. and so that you'll be ready to have those harder relationship uh, discussions. Like, you know, when you're preschoolers, I don't know if you're aware of this, masturbate constantly in public. Um, you know, you just say, like, honey, it feels really good to touch your vulva, but we don't do it at grandma's Thanksgiving table. That's something we do in our bedrooms, you know? Um, you, you say, nobody gets to hug your child without permission, and she doesn't hug anybody without permission. So if you, you know, uncle, go to hug her, and she says, I don't want to hug you. I don't remember you, like, you know? You want fist bump? What you want to do? Suck it up. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You don't, you don't make your child hug great Aunt Nancy. You don't make your child cut, hug whatever. You know, all those sorts of things are these, like, lessons that are that that build that consciousness mm-hmm. and and then you have books in the house like um there's a great book called from diapers to dating that your sister should read um that really looks at how to have discussions around age appropriate discussions around sexuality and you know diapers meaning like when they're in diapers you name the body parts you know but but when they're three they might ask a question that you think oh my god they're asking this but in fact from a three-year-old perspective that's not what they're asking at all and you need to know the difference um, and then you have the books by like Roby Harris, the, it's not the stork and all these around the house so that when your child is three, you can look or four, you can look at the cartoons. And when your child, like my child did at like seven, maybe in the middle of dinner, suddenly the fork comes to the mouth and just like, just doesn't make it to the mouth. And she like looks up, she goes, mom, I understand that you need a sperm and an egg to make a baby, but how does the sperm get from the penis into the uterus like all this you know you're like eating dinner you got oh and my husband sort of looks at me like mm. and you have to and say, well, you, you know have to what act fucking normal during that because you don't want to <laughs> right right and so i said you know what honey after we finish dinner let's go look at your book and we'll read about that and because we have the book and you know we can learn about that together that's a really good question and you're already ready you know you're or, or she, you know when she said like but what about she had a friend who had two moms, you know, what about Gideon? How did she, <laughs> how did they make her, you know, you know, like all these things you sort of have to just like be a little ahead of them and think about, think really consciously and not fearfully mm. about what it means to talk about these things in an age appropriate way and raise, and then you're scaffolding up and then you're talking about the media and then you're talking about sexuality and then you hit high school and man, it gets complicated and you do not want to be entering ideally you can, but ideally you don't want to be entering that conversation for the first time in high school. Yeah, that's a real late start. Um, it's hard. It's just hard to talk to a kid. that By that time, they're shut down to you. I love that the the one kid you described, like they had a, they were, they have a restorative justice model at the school. Because yeah. another thing that causes this defensive energy, this nice guy, bad guy that challenges this thought of me being good guy is, um, you know, if you're called out for something that maybe you did. Maybe if you didn't intentionally do it, whatever, whatever it is, it's, it's challenging your fucking whole worldview. Right. And, and, but, and this defensive energy, you know, it's coming in like, I don't want to get blamed because I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be in handcuffs as opposed to like, if we could teach that, like, um, causing harm doesn't automatically mean you have to be punished. There's also that model. Like, how can we, especially in schools, how can we educate? How can we, and how do we also help understand, like, you know, one thing that was really interesting to me in looking at, I mean, it's focusing on all the consent stuff, but looking at that was how there's a lot of socialization for young men that undermines their under, even if they do understand consent, you know, that, that, that encourages them not to 
um, really see it in the moment, um, whether it's because uh, they sort of see anything that a girl says when they're, you know, when they're drunk, anything a girl says means it's on or whether it's that there's a lot of research on how guys understanding of consent can be kind of elastic, which again, I think is about that good guy, bad guy thing. Um, or, you know, guys are more likely to think if somebody asks you back to their place, it's consent to intercourse than women are. There's a gap between the, those genders and those beliefs that, you know, creates a problem. Um, so sort of looking at how, and, and how men are socialized to think that they have sort of, you know, entitlement to sex and entitlement to women's bodies. And women's are socialized to, women are socialized to believe that they don't have entitlement to their bodies and how that all plays out. And so sort of, I think kind of understanding some media, understanding some gender socialization, all of that is part of under, you know, of, it, it isn't just about saying, this is what consent is. This is how you get it. You know, it's, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much more about understanding kind of our humanity in the world in a way. Which is so much more difficult because it's so much more difficult yeah. to define because I think a lot of people, especially men, want like some rules. They're like, fine, yeah. whatever. You want to change the rules, change the rules. Can you just give me the rules? But it's like, we can give you some basics, but underlying that is like, be empathetic. Like that's really the yeah. old underlying rule. If you're empathetic, that will be your guiding star, but it's hard to teach empathy. Yeah. Hard to teach empathy. Yeah, it's true. And yeah, that's absolutely right. Is there anything from um, writing Boys and Sex that you kind of learned and discovered or were surprised by that then maybe altered or added to your understanding of what you wrote in Girls and Sex? Well, you know, one thing was um, that there were way more guys than I would have imagined and that at first I could hear really um, that we're talking about unwanted sex, unwanted advances and how they dealt with that. Um, and sometimes it was, you know, something that they thought was kind of funny or sometimes they thought it was, um, awkward or whatever. But sometimes, especially if, if it was a younger guy who had not, yes, that was, that's, that was one scenario. Yeah. Soon. <laughs> Um, that was one big one. And the other one was just, yes, that was a big one or, or somebody who was like slightly religious or, you know, if there was, but, but that power dynamic and feeling that they, they had not been able to say no, that they were, um, taken advantage of, molested, assaulted, whatever they wanted to try, they would go into sometimes the same, the, the kinds of behaviors, the kinds of self-loathing, the kind of, um, you know, just spiral that we associate with girls and being assaulted. And it was really hard for me, honestly, to see that for a while. And it was the boys. I had boys either who were in my interns or boys who I'd interviewed repeatedly who said, you know, I think you're missing this piece. And I have a friend who's had this experience and I think you should talk to him. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to really be kind of like told that this was a thing. Is that because as Is a that woman, you know, to be told like, Hey, you're missing something. no, no, I was really, I felt very, um, actually it made me feel great because it that, meant that they trusted me. Um, so that, that, that meant a lot to me, but, but under, trying to understand the experience of men and unwanted sex. And when you are talking about like consent and everything, if you're not allowed to say no, if you're not allowed to have that agency over your body, um, I mean that you should anyway, I mean, period, boom, you should have that. But if you are, if you feel that you're not allowed, how could you really understand somebody else's? No. You know, if you can't say it, how can you hear it? 
So I think it, you know that also has both ramifications for the person and also for people around them. In my college years and early twenties, like the latter half of my college years, early twenties, I you know stopped wanting to have um, penis and vagina intercourse the first time I hook up. PVI, with- just go there. Yeah, PVI, PV. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I I was I would tell people I would like warn them almost. I would be like, hey, by the way, we can go upstairs. Just I don't I want to do this. We can do all these other things. I want to hold this mm-hmm. to the second time. You want to come? You want to fuck me? You still want to fuck me after this? Let's ha- let's hang out again. But for now, mm-hmm. and I got so much pushback from That's older so women, and mm. exclusively, I mean, like, so like I've been raped, and it was by an older woman, and I've I've had negative responses by older women because they're not used to hearing no when they're offering the sex, and it was yeah. like. I, I was, it was so uncomfortable. I'm just like, like I've had women raise their voice at me, like audibly yell at me. They're like, you're not going to fuck me. You're going to do all that. And, not, and, and, and I'm like, are you allowed to do this? Yeah. No. And, and I don't think that girls and women learn in any way that consent is a two way street. And so that I have a chapter on that. Um, and it was a really meaningful and important chapter for me to, Right. And it's one that I've had arguments sometimes on podcasts and such with male hosts about it who have been like, yeah, you know, if you had, if I had somebody had, you know, 30 year old had come after me when I was 16, I would have been, you know, that would have been like my dream. And, you know, maybe you think so. Maybe it would have been, but maybe it wouldn't have, or maybe it would have felt like that at the time and it wouldn't have later. I mean, you know, it's, it's just really hard to, um, have that discussion sometimes, but, but certainly there was much more experience of unwanted sex and, and ultimately boys who wanted to talk to me in order to tell a story like that than I would have ever imagined. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, were open to that type of feedback, um, to, to, and also to admit that you changed. I feel like people don't want to admit that they changed their mind on something. It's like, no, no, no. I've always had this very perfect set of beliefs and philosophies. Um, so I think yeah. that's really great. Something else I think men are lacking, I'm curious if this is in the book or something you've um, you know, talked to people about, was we don't have – and this is what broke my heart about the Louis C.K. debacle in particular. Uh, I've said this on the show before. We don't have examples yet of like a guy who did something we wouldn't say has to go to jail but needs to go mm-hmm. away and do some growth and change, some inner work, and like step aside for a bit and then come back and then like reenter society. In a way, like what's the pathway? Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't think men have that example. And so, when I actually watched the Cuomo, I don't know if you saw the Cuomo um, press briefing earlier this week, uh, or if you're familiar. No, I didn't. I read about it, but I didn't see so, it. I know the case, right? So, whether or not you believe the governor is uh, is sincere, he was mm-hmm. saying all the words. I feel like I've been hearing women say they want a man in power to just publicly say. Um, and so, like, for me, I watched that being like, I mean, whatever about him, I'm just happy someone's saying these words on the TV. Yeah, you know who's really was great, though? Um, I mean, I do think, again, I feel like the restorative justice thing, that that was the thing that I felt like I could add to that debate. Like, what, and, and it's for younger people, it's not, you know, for for um, people in their 30s or whatever, but, but thinking about, is there a way to... Have, is there a process by which somebody can um, acknowledge harm, make amends, make sincere amends, 
um, and have a pathway back um, is, is a really good question. But one person who I think did, and I, and I mentioned this briefly, the best apology, like really nailed it, so to speak, was um, Dan Harmon, um, who, who did it, on, I think, on his podcast. He had um, harassed, for those who don't know, he had, he had sexually harassed uh, a woman who w- worked for him on his writing staff. He's a um, showrunner. Mm-hmm. Um, the community and um, what else? Other things. Rick and Mort- Morty. Yeah, yeah. Is he Rick and Morty? Yeah, he's Rick yeah. and Morty. Um, yeah, yeah. So when he was doing Community, he um, harassed a younger female writer, um, and you know, deny, deny, and recognized ultimately that yes, he had done that, and yes, he had um, really harmed her, and he had also tried to destroy her career, and uh, and and he read an apology on his podcast that was so sincere and excellent. And she then I think tweeted, I don't, maybe she, he did have run after, but she tweeted like, yeah, that, that went along that he, that was a great apology. You know, that was how you apologize. Um, so I, I, I have in my, at the end of the book, I sort of talking about things people should tell their kids or things you can do. And I was like, that would be an example to listen to with your teenage son of how do you apologize when you have fucked up in a major way? Did you hear? Um, in your- that doesn't mean the person has to accept the apology. Absolutely. It doesn't mean you get to go right back to normal. It doesn't mean any of that. But you have to start with how, what does it mean to apologize? Did you, in your interviews with these, these young boys, did you hear any fear about getting called out me too however you phrase it yeah yeah and you know i i feel mixed ways about that i mean i i think i i hear more fear from parents Mm -hmm. you know when i speak to parents um i do a lot of public speaking and you know the parents of the of the 15 year old and my response is often like well how have you talked to your son about all of this what education have you been giving him around positive sexuality, around media, around gender roles, around um, consent? You know, like what are the series of conversations you've been having so that you know that when he goes out there about substance use, you know, when he goes out there, that he is going out there with the best possible information, intentions and ability to negotiate a situation. Um, and usually they haven't. Right. Usually they haven't had any conversations with their kid. They might say, and so, rap- yeah, of course you're fearful. <laughs> <laughs> they, they might say, make sure you use a condom and no means no. Like yeah. that's about it. <laughs> yeah. And what they say is, I, I, what they'll say is don't get a girl pregnant. Don't get a disease. Respect women. And as one of the boys said to me, I don't know what respect women means. Like that's like telling somebody um, don't run over any little old ladies and then handing them the car keys. You know, I mean, you don't think you're going to run over a little old lady, but you still don't know how to drive. Yeah. And I feel like that is where we are with our American kids. I mean, if that's what you're telling your son and you're sending him out there, then you are doing your son a tremendous disservice and setting him up to cause harm potentially and to then be harmed as well in that. And so we just, I, I just, the thing that I keep saying, you know, again, it's the silence and, and we don't have the luxury of that silence anymore in our culture between, um, a new understanding of harm and also, you know, a kind of toxic media. And we have to not only talk about those negative things, but also talk about the positive and what, you know, what does a healthy sexual encounter look like? What is a positive mutual, whether it's a five minute encounter or a 50 year encounter, you know, what is that about and how do you establish that? Yeah. 
What was what was like the biggest difficulty you had with the with the boys and sex book that maybe you didn't have with the the girls and sex book? I know you thought it was going to be tightening up, but obviously when you started doing it, you noticed they wanted to be open. Right. You know, it's so it's funny. Um, after a book is over, I forget what was. Every book has like huge challenges, and they're always different, and I can never quite. But after it's done, it seems like the whole thing was so obvious that I can't remember what it was like. Um, in some ways, it was. Um, well, I, w- I will say that boys, on one hand, they were super reflective, and I did have that situation where you know they would sort of stop and and sort of admit to something that maybe they weren't proud of, but they also did more rationalizing than girls. So sometimes I felt like they were kind of false narrators a little bit, and I felt like almost like I could see an invisible girl behind them going, "Wait a second. And I actually did have the experience with in several cases. Um, after I'd interviewed somebody where girls would contact me and say, I heard you interviewed this boy and I suspect he didn't tell you what really happened. And that never happened with girls. That never happened with the girls. And I didn't end up using any of those stories actually, but, um, or finding, figuring out how to handle that. But, um, but it was, that was an interesting thing. Was there any one in particular that like super shocked you? You were like, this guy, what a great kid. This kid's got the thing. And then, Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, there was one boy who, you know, he was telling me about breaking up with his girlfriend and um, over some issues of sexual dysfunction, and um, and he was crying and uh, um, seemed really heartbroken and really like he said, you know, I love her, but it, I just have to let her go because it's just not going to work with us, et cetera, et cetera. And a couple months later, she got in touch with me and she said. I think he probably didn't tell you the truth. He was incredibly manipulative. He was controlling. He wanted to know my every move, you know, like all this stuff that certainly was not apparent or, you know, even hinted at in the interview that we did together. So, and in those, you know, a case like that, I don't know what the truth is. You know, I don't know. Is the safe move so to I just not thought, include the kid in the book at all then? Is that the yeah. safe move? So it was better just, I just took him out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And And that's, and that's the, that's such a, I mean, some people, you know, they hear about something that someone did, and then it's so different from what their perspective, their perception of that that person is. And it's like you almost don't want to believe it because now you're challenging their. This person making an accusation is challenging your paradigm of this person close to you in your life. Yeah, well, that's and that's hard. I did talk to boys, and I it was something that I wish I you know, a thing that I did not end up writing about that I wish I had or had found a way to was what do you do when somebody that when a guy that you really care about when your friend um is the person who's accused and you think it's a fair accusation like what happens in your relationship to that guy and who are you in relationship to you know do you just cut him off do you try to find a way to be in relationship with him and you know help him see the error of his ways and be a better man, you know, like what, where do you stand in all of that? And that was, I had a couple boys who would talk, who talked about that. Um, but in, you know, there's, there's the aspect of it that where the issue is really interesting, but then the aspect where the, as from a writer perspective, like the story doesn't quite work mm-hmm. in, in a narrative form or in the book, you know, so I can't, I can't use it. But, um, but I had a couple stories like that where I thought, I mean, that's a question I think that, that is a really powerful one for young men like what do you do when you think yeah mm-hmm. he, i i think that that i be, i believe that that is a true story about him and i also love this guy and what do i do mark i don't know if you're familiar with who mark Marin is 
Sure, of course. Uh, yeah. Hey, look, you're way cooler than a lot of people then. Uh, that's sometimes I say Mark, you're yeah. no. Um, but, but Mark, and again, I bring up the Louis situation comic. So it's just always on. It's, but yeah. Mark Marin, who is like, you know, decades long friends with, with Louis CK, he, when every, when the New York Times piece came out, Mark, you know, addressed that, that exact scenario. This is my friend of like many, many years. And, this stuff, which all had happened like about, you know, 10, 15 years prior um, to to when the article came out. But he's like, what do I do with that? And he's like, I think I have a real conversation with my friend who, at least in this scenario, the fr- you know, his friend was not denying what he did. It was about how do we yeah. reconcile? We have a friendship. You've done some shitty things to some people. Um, he ended up sharing his own story of, uh, you know, of being assaulted by a professor and I thought that was uh, real, real interesting because he's like, I'm not going to stop being friends with him, but like, I'm going to hold him accountable within the dynamic of our friendship. It's not just going to be like mm-hmm. cheery conversation every time anymore. Yeah. It's also going to be like, what have you been working on, man? What, who have mm-hmm. you been talking to? Like, are you doing right. X, Y, or Z? And, and. Well, it's interesting. I, I hope that. I mean. No, please. There were a bunch of those Louis C.K. people around him. Pamela Alden, I think, talked a lot about that, and Sarah Silverman. Um, I didn't know Mark Maron did, but yeah, I think there's a lot of. Um, I think that those that those that that the the wrestling that those public figures are doing, those adjacent public figures, is really important as well. Yeah, and and I don't even know. I hope that if I was ever in a scenario, uh, I mean, I've been called out for things that are all like word stuff on Twitter because you know social media is what it is. But um, you know, I have felt grateful that I've had friends who were able to say, "I don't think what you did here was good, but I'm going to talk to you about it, and I want to help you do better." Uh, and and so I yeah. hope that you know we're not just. I actually read today an article. Uh, on on we are your voice uh, about the, like abuse versus harm. How like we to you know n- not conflate the two terms all the time because that actually diminishes mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. And how like we can't just be like we we dispose of people when they do bad things. There's got to be a way back because otherwise, if there's no way back, what's the incentive to do better? I don't know. Yeah, it's complicated. It's complicated. Um, I don't know. I spent a lot of time having this going round and round, and I, but I think that having these discussions and trying to puzzle it through is just in itself what, what we need to be doing, and it's in itself valuable. I, and I don't know if you were giving advice to these these boys when you would interview them or not. No. Okay. okay. Well, not my job. That's fair. Well, <laughs> I'll I'll still pose a question to you. So, mm-hmm. if a if a boy if a man is accused of some kind of sexual misconduct. Well, let's put it in the realm of like, he's not being accused of rape or sexual assault, but something that is not okay. Uh, Cause I'm, and I know the words for all this stuff is uh, changing, but I'm just trying to like differentiate. How should he respond? Like what should his steps be in, in addressing and thinking, et cetera? You know, I, I feel like it's, it's hard for me to give a blanket piece of advice on that because it's, it's so variable depending on what the situation is. And I wouldn't want to um, tell somebody to do something that turns out to be totally inappropriate. Uh, But I do think that, you know, take like, as I said, taking a look at things like Dan Harmon's apology or, you know, but the one thing I think that you, that, that you can recognize is that whether you do apologize, whether you do try to make amends, that it is not on that other person to accept that. 
you know, that, that, I mean, I, I certainly know young women. I know a young woman who got a long letter of apology from a guy who had in some way, I don't know exactly what happened, but you know, he had some way sexually harmed her in college. Um, and she said it, it, she felt burdened by it. She felt like he wanted something from her. Now he wanted her to say it's okay. Or I, you know, and she said, I, it's not okay. I, I don't accept the apology. I still feel really hurt by it. I'm still angry with him. Um, and I said, well, you know, that's not, you don't have to. I mean, he, he, was this like a retroactive, like years later, he's like, realizing. Yeah. 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 Like five years later. That's, that's tough. I, um, I don't think I've said this on the show before, but you know, like, so in the group, um, mm -hmm. consent and sexual assault was coming up a bit for a few weeks. And I woke, I just, I don't know what, how it popped into my head, but all of a sudden I had a realization, I had a memory of a night, uh, I think it was my sophomore year of college where I, I, like I was spooning with someone cause I was told, oh, you can crash, crash in her, her bed. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Um, and I don't, I didn't, I just remember being like, I don't know if this is something I should be reaching out about. I don't know if this is something I should think of as like, did I it, do something inappropriate here? Um, and I brought that up and that was like, that was really terrifying to even like explore mm -hmm. the idea that I might've done something that could have harmed her. And then she's been silent for a decade and maybe that's something she thinks about, but they were also like one the group and the therapist were like, we don't think this is what you are worried it is. But also they were like, do not contact her because if she doesn't think that it is that right. you're now placing this burden on her to have yeah. to like think about it and revisit what, or what if she wasn't traumatized by it and now she's thinking and her, if her memory's not hundred percent, right. you know, so that that's a, that's a scary idea to think you've hurt someone in, in that way. Yeah. It's hard to know. It's sometimes hard to know. I, and I think that what you're doing is sort of the right thing, which is to, first of all, explore it within yourself and in a therapeutic context. And then you can think about what might be the best course that doesn't just make you feel better. I mean, if, if, if your whole goal is they're like, I want to get rid of this. I don't want to feel bad about this anymore. I want to be reassured. It's okay. You know, that is putting a burden on another person. Right. Um, as opposed to wanting to make sure that person is okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. And at the same time, recognizing behaviors to hopefully not repeat in, in the future and stuff yeah. like that. Do you. Yeah. I, I, be, before we go, I am curious. We've talked a lot about how, like, fear at times and men being scared. Do you think it's at least a little good? I Let me put it this way. I think it's a little good that we're scared. Oh, I yeah. think that's a nice way yeah. to get it gets it, it causes stakes. Even the scales a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 It gets it gets you invested in having to be better. Yeah. I wish that it didn't come from a place of sure. fear and fear of punishment. Um but I also don't think that it's I think that what you're saying is that the fact that that straight men in particular um have to think about their behavior in a different way. Um, which they don't necessarily want to have to do because it puts something on them, but that that in itself is, is, is a good thing. Um, and it's a step. And I hope it's that it turns into something of recognizing that you can have a better, richer, more pleasurable, more intimate experience. Um, if you start thinking about these things and if you act, you know, if, if you act with that empathy or vulnerability or whatever, you, you're going to have a better sex yeah. life. Infinitely. Um, 
infinitely better sex life. And so, you, and, and to try to think of it instead of like, oh my God, I don't want to be punished, which was definitely what a lot of the guys thought that I talked to, but to think like, but there were other guys who were, who were, who thought this has given me the opportunity to, um, you know, ha- have a better experience and to, you know, it feels better for me. It feels better for my partner. It's really exciting, you know, when she's that into it and I can know she's that into it and, you know, all that. Um, that's great. You know, that's where you want it to be going. Yeah. And, 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 and I similarly with, you know, you're like, you wish it doesn't come from fear. You wish it came from a pure place of wanting like everyone to be feeling awesome. Uh, but like by any means necessary, I hear some people go, so-and-so is using feminism to get laid. I'd be like, if only, right? Like, if, (laughs) like, wouldn't that be great if men were using feminism to get laid? What a great starting point, you know, fake it till you make it. I do have a boy in the book who calls himself a feminist fuckboy, and he's a really interesting case that way, you know, and he was kind of doing that. But and he realized it at a certain point. He was like, oh, man, I am doing I am really manipulative and, you know, I kind of masturbatory in the way that I use women, but really super. He knows all the words. He knows all the words and all the talking points. Yep, knows all the words, knows all the words, but he was still being manipulative. He was still treating partners Mm -hmm. as disposable. He was still doing these other things. And. And he, when I met him, he was 20, um, which I think is actually still pretty young to be able to see that in yourself. But, um, but he was really seeing that in himself and he was thinking about what it meant and what, how he wanted to, um, move forward because it didn't fit with his sense of his own ethics. But hey, if in the meantime, like you're coming from a place of like fake feminism versus like uh shittiness, like at least we got them showing up to the march for now while we work on it, you know? <laughs> like at least, you know, for yeah, in the I meantime, uh, you know. I suppose. So. Um, but I don't know. I don't know how girls would uh, I don't know what girls would respond to well, that. You know, how, how they would respond to that. Well, but, you don't want it to be um, our But yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Peggy, yeah. Yeah, this was this was fantastic. Um, thank you for time with us. Uh, where where can people find you? Your your book Boys and sex is now out in paperback for those of us yes, on a budget is. uh so <laughs> yeah where can people go to find you and find your book find me personally um you know i have a website which is my name peggy orenstein o-r-e-n-s-t-e-i-n uh dot com and uh you can contact me through that or or find more about my books or find actually there's for those of you who might be um, looking for resources. There's a lot of resources on uh, there for, especially if you're a parent, for thinking about how to talk to your child about any of these issues at any age. So whether they are zero or whether they are 25 or anywhere in between, gay, straight, non-binary, whatever it is, um, there's stuff there that you can access to help you have these conversations, multiple conversations. Fantastic. Uh, Peggy, thanks again for sharing the space with me. And uh, why don't you Thank go you. ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Go get your hands on the new paperback edition of Boys and Sex, Young Men on Hookups, Love, Porn, Consent, and Navigating the New Masculinity. Uh, We would love to know what you thought about this week's episode with Peggy Ornstein. Uh, Give us both a shout out on the social media. You share the show with your friends and your followers. That helps grow the podcast and tag us so we know what you thought. I am most likely at the Billy Presida, but all my socials, you know, they're in the show notes. Uh, you know, I'm on the TikTok. I'm on the net. I'm on too many things now. So now I'm just I say go check the show notes. <laughs> of course, I love getting your emails. It's uh, it's one of my favorite ways to interact with listeners. Send me your comments, your questions, your criticisms, your feedbacks, all on over to manhorpod at gmail.com. 
Also, shoot me an email if you're interested in that ManhorCon info session, uh, especially if you're not a Patreon member yet. Connect with fellow fan whores in our free sex-positive and supportive Discord server, The Champagne Room. Not only will we have a channel dedicated to episode 377 with Peggy Ornstein, we also have all sorts of channels and conversations going on at the same time. We got Sexual Achievement Sunday. We got channels about art and movies and TV shows and sex toy recommendations and more. There's a link in the show notes, but you can also join us at manwhorepod.com slash discord. And if you want to have a little bit of a steamier conversation... Maybe you want some dedicated one-on-one time with yours truly. Maybe you just want to see what that dick actually looks like. I'll give you a hint. It looks like a lot of other average-sized, circumcised dicks. But hey, I won't stop you from giving me money on my OnlyFans. It's free to follow and costs a little bit to have some fun. Head on over to OnlyFans.com slash Billy. Last but certainly not least, uh, I appreciate and I want to give a shout out to all the members of the fan horror community on Patreon, both past, present, and future. I visited my dad yesterday and he was like, yeah, you must have been doing all right because like you did the podcast. Comedians must be like dying out there. And I'm like, yeah, I know because they're doing live shows and catching COVID. Oh, you meant financially. Yeah, it's also been a struggle if they were not also on the internet making an income. So from the bottom of my heart, folks... Uh, it only costs $2 to support this whore boy, uh, and uh, now that I'm escaping my crazy roommate, uh, I am going to be having to pay more. My living expenses are going up just to live in a sane household. So if you can support uh, my uh, mentally healthier uh, new living arrangements, head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash podcast. If you made it this far, then you probably made it this far last week, and which means you probably heard that this week was supposed to be the Glory Hole cast. And I'm like incredibly apologetic about it. Uh, I mixed up the dates next week. I swear we have a totally real normal lady person who just like wanted to suck a stranger's dick a bunch of times. It's a doozy. It's a fun one. We're pulling back the curtain literally. So I hope you get to pull back some curtains in your life and stay slutty. It's the vibrator that has no equal. And now, Motor Bunny offers their thrusting sex machine, the Motor Bunny Buck. Enjoy a fan whore discount at manwhorepod.com slash motorbunny or use promo code manwhore at checkout.